So we have such a great staff and, uh, and Graham that overleads student ministries and then many of you who volunteer with junior high or high school or children uh, working with kids that's going on right now. We couldn't do this kind of stuff and have real meaningful impact in these kind of students' lives without you. So we are grateful. And that's just a little snapshot of what goes on in our student ministries all the time during the week and then at these camps. It's so great. And I just wanted to pause and take a moment right now to celebrate and pray for and bless those of you who are working with and impacting students uh, all through, students and kids all through the week. Those teachers, coaches, and administrators. So if you are a teacher, coach, and administrator, would you please stand so that we could just thank you? Stay standing just for a second. Stay standing just for a second. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you before you sit down and just thank you because you're making an investment in the next generation and that matters. And so we have a tradition here as we, as we kick off the fall to pray specifically for you, ask God to bless you uh, because your work is so important and this is the perfect time of the year to celebrate you. So if you're around someone that's standing, would you just kind of a, extend a hand in that general direction? It's not weird. It's just saying, hey, I agree with this prayer and I'm praying for this person generally over here. So that's what we're going to do. May the Lord bless you. May he give you energy and passion for the work that you do because it is so important. May you feel his presence and his spirit this school year. And may you trust that lives are being changed with your effort and energy, even though you'll never see most of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for what you do. Well, welcome. If you are on the newer side of things, I'm Caleb. I'm the lead pastor here. I look forward to meeting you at some point. Uh, some of you are just coming back. Maybe you've been traveling for summer. Uh, others of you have been here all along, powering through this strange, depressing heat. Uh, others of you are here maybe just for the air conditioning. And so welcome. We're glad that, <laughs> that you're uh, joined us for whatever reason. My wife and I took a study break. We were, we were gone for three weeks as we uh, spent time together as a, as a family, prayed about this coming school year, tried to hear from God about what he had for our church. We did that at the end of July and August. And anytime that we do that and we go away, I visit other churches and I meet with other pastors and I try to learn uh, what, what God's doing in other places and be a part of other kind of worship experiences like this. And this summer was no exception. I did that several times. And you know what I learned? That I love it here. <laughs> that what we get to be a part of here is something really, really special. I love the team that I get to work with, the staff, uh, you know, Monica doing outreach, Jose at the back. There's just all kinds of great people that I get to work with and do this. And then we got these elders. Jeb is just one of them. We got like 13 of them that are always praying for you and our church that are serving in so many ways. And then the volunteers, you see anyone that you're walking past with one of those lanyards in the hallway or working with kids, we just have so such great people around here. And then you filling these purple seats. Uh, I just, I, I love being here. I love you. And it's so good to be back. And it's so good to be uh, together and doing this. And one of the other things that I learned is that not all churches feel like ours. 
Now, all, all churches are great. If they're honoring God and trying to care for people, all churches are wonderful. But I just so appreciated the spirit and the energy and the enthusiasm and the momentum and the feel, the love, the care that, that you can just feel palpably here at our church. It's so, so good. And so I wanted to pause or you know, start off this fall kickoff and just talk for a minute about why we do this anyway. Because I think that some people, some places, and we run this risk, can just get in the habit of going through the motions or in, in a habit of maybe we forget why this is so significant. So it's important to pause once in a while and talk about why. Why this? Why here? Why this way? What, why do we do what we do? And I want to start off right out of the gate by telling you that you are a worshiper. So when you come to church, you might feel like you're just coming to church or that you're going to hear a message or maybe participate in some song singing. You might not think of yourself as a worshiper, but you're participating in an expression of worship, and it's because you are a worshiper. You were designed that way. You were designed by the God of the universe to reflect back to him, that the creator created you, and he put something in you, wired something in you to worship. Everybody worships. Not everybody worships God, but everybody worships because there's this thing in our soul that just wants to, to reach upward and reach outward and, and throw our affection at something. It's just how we are created. And worship is not just music, after all. It's not just singing, but those are good expressions because it points to something that's true. It points to this reality that we live almost like our lives have their own song. That as you're going about your day and doing what you do, it's almost this song, this lifestyle song of expression toward God. It's in you. You have a song in, in you. Have you ever heard the expression that uh, some guy beats to the tune of a different drum or something like that? How does that go? Marches. That's, that's it. He marches to the beat of a different drum. Well, all of us should kind of march to the beat of a different drum because we all have a different song in us. That God's put a unique spirit in you that you're, you're not like anybody else and that you have a unique song. It's an expression of who God's made you and it's an expression back to him. And that's why that we resonate with music because it's, it's in us and everybody has that whether they realize it or not. Hundreds of years ago, there was this pastor who, uh, he lived in Europe, I believe it was Germany at the time, and he was trying to figure out how he could, how he could help everybody, more everybody's, understand that they are worshipers. And he saw, he noticed that there were people that went to church and they were in churches and, and that's good, but there were more people that didn't. And so he wanted to go into the bar scene. Remember, this is hundreds of years ago, but they still had bars. And, and he would go into the bar scene and he wanted to connect and help those people, real people, regular people, understand that they too are worshipers. And so in that day, there was a particular song that was really popular. It was a beer drinking song. They would literally play this song and drink beer to it. So they would kind of you know, pause and they would grab their pints and they would throw them back and they would continue with the song. The song, he, he decided I can relate to these people by taking this song that they know and using the same kind of melody and rhythm to it and, and, and the music and then write different lyrics so that they'll recognize the tune, but then they hear these words and maybe it will point them toward a bigger 
story, that, that they're actually worshipers of a God who created them. And so he, he took this song and he wrote lyrics to it and it, and, and it went something like this. And it was at that point, at that, that point that people would take their pints and bang them on the table and then throw them back. And so Martin Luther, this, this famous pastor that was a part of this thing called the Reformation, he, he takes that song and he writes lyrics to it. And it's called, A mighty fortress is our God. One of the most famous hymns in history. The people that chuckled, they, they exposed themselves because they're old school. And, uh, and, and they're, they're familiar with, with this great hymn. But, but most people didn't know it's a beer drinking song. Because Martin Luther was committed to trying to help as many people as possible realize that they're worshipers. They just don't know it yet. And they're giving their worship and their affection and their obsession to lesser things. But that's okay. We're all the same. If they could just realize, if they could just kind of wake up to the fact that they have a God who designed them. And that they would feel much more alive and whole and connected once they directed their worship that way. Jesus when he walked this earth, there's a story. He sent his disciples on ahead of him this one day as he's walking along this road and he sits down for a break and this woman walks past. She's coming to draw water from a well and she's talking to him uh, or he talks to her, which is a shock because she's from a different culture. She's, she's a Samaritan and Samaritans and Jews, they weren't, they weren't buddies. And so she's like, why are you talking to me? A, I'm a Samaritan. B, uh, I'm a woman. And usually men don't, don't do that. And he goes, no, 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 I, I know that and, and I know everything about you. And, and his point, Jesus' point in this little interaction is to help her see that there are no outsiders. And so he shows her that he knows everything about her. And she's panicked. And she feels exposed like you would and, and embarrassed and it's as, if he, it's as if he's saying, you know, just kind of whispering and through his eyes, this glimmer that says, I'm actually the God who created you. I just put on kind of this human suit so that we could relate. But I know everything. So she's nervous and she deflects the conversation and talks about the weather or something. And then, and then the hill that they're standing on and, and where Jews worship and, and where other people can't worship. And, and then Jesus does this like groundbreaking thing that shapes religiousness from that point on. He says, worship isn't about Jerusalem or, or Jews or Gentiles, non-Jews. It's, it's something bigger than that. And he says this, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, worship is not about where you do it, a temple on a hill or in a particular place like Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's about spirit and truth, which was a game changer. It's not just in your head where you hear some some truths, and you try to just kind of figure them out there. It's also not just your emotions, but it's all of those things and more than those things. It's spirit and truth. Truth is kind of like what you can know. It's what you can understand about this God who is truth. It's, it's figuring it out and deducting and reading and observing and looking back at your life and history and other people's lives and thinking, okay, it's, it's coming together, sort of, this picture of God. And then spirit is everything else beyond what you can comprehend. 
That even if you don't understand it, you can still get caught up in it. You can still just connect to it, even if intellectually it's not quite there yet. There's truth, and then there's spirit that envelops it. It's almost like worship is visible and invisible. There's an element that you can see, and then there's everything else that you can't. You just sense it, feel it, get caught up in it, want to connect to it. We do the visible stuff up here all the time. We put words on the screen. We look at our Bibles or our apps with the Bible, and we read words, and there's all kinds of expressions that are visible. Some people raise their hands as if to say, like a father, like I have little kids, like reaching up, daddy holds you, daddy holds you, and you're just seeing someone raising their hands next to you and think, does he have a question? Should we address this? I mean, I think he's, I think he's wondering something, but people are just kind of like wanting to reach up as if a visible expression of saying, God, I surrender, I, I want to worship you. We have musicians in front of you. Those are all visual things. But then there's this invisible reality too. There's this God who is spirit, that thing that you just, you, you can't even really describe, but you feel it. There's, there's that when I'm speaking words and yet you're hearing something different and even more than the words that I'm saying. Or you get this sense inside of you and God's talking to you and it's about something even totally different than what I'm saying. Or there's this song that comes on and you've never heard it before and yet it gets you. Or you watch Debbie on, her sc- on the screen talking about her story. You've never met her before and you feel like you know her. And you feel like there's a connection between you or you wonder if you could have the same experience that she has had. Worship is visible and invisible because God is spirit and truth. And up until that point, worship was just about being good and about being clean and about going to the right place at the right time. It was about bowing down. It was about burning things. It was all these hoops and rituals that you had to jump through. And Jesus is saying, not anymore. That's really not what it's about. It's spirit and it's truth. Let me simplify this for you, Jesus says. And by the way, everyone is a worshiper and everyone can connect to this God and worship this God and know this God. That's what Martin Luther was trying to communicate in the bars as just trying to relate to these people and get them to see that this God loves you and wants to connect to you too. You are not as far from God as you think you are. You are a worshiper. If you look closely at the ancient songs that people have sung, there's clues. Generations before Jesus, there are clues that worship is more than just a place or a hymnal or a song. It's, it's much more than that. So I wanted to look at one particular song. We call it a psalm, and it's Psalm 150. I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to break it down for you because there's all these layers to it, things that you might not see at first, but things that might open your eyes to what this whole concept is really about. This is Psalm 150. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the sound, with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tribble or the timbrel, whatever that is, and with dancing. Did it say dancing? Is that awkward? It doesn't mean dancing. It must mean something else, right? 
Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. And then this famous line from the psalm, verse 6, it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, you know what praise is. It might not be a word that you use all the time, but it's a common word in our culture because someone, let's say they're an actor and they act on a stage like this or at a school play or something like that, and then there's this review of them, and it's a praise-worthy kind of review, and they say, oh, that actor, he was so great. He was on par with the likes of Nicolas Cage, and you think to yourself, that's high praise. That is, that's high praise, and others of you think, no, that's the opposite of praise. That's a terrible thing. Or, or maybe your football team was playing exceptionally well and the ESP, ESPN broadcaster says, this football team, they look, they're careering. They look so good. They look almost as good as the USC Trojans. And you think, that is high praise that he is giving that team. But you get what praise is. It's to honor. It's to elevate. It's to lift up. We praise things that we, that we love, that we believe in, that we want to encourage. And God is saying, your ultimate praise is for me because I'm the God of the universe. I'm the designer. I created you and I put this beacon in your soul, this like sonar that's just like drawing you toward me. I'm the one that you praise and that's how you feel most alive to begin with. So let's look at the way of worship. We're going to look at that psalm each line by line, and we're going to look at where we worship, why, how, and who. And I would not invite you to make this personal. Beyond just this psalm that's written thousands of years ago, I want you to imagine that you are walking in, that you somehow encountered Jesus at Starbucks, and that he knows everything about you, and he's blowing your mind with how religion is not what you thought it was and that he's giving you access to the God of the universe, and it's shocking, and you're exposed, but you're excited, and you're like, yes, there's this thing in my soul that just wants relationship with you. Tell me more. Here's the where of worship. How does this play out? That psalm just said, praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. You see, there's an invisible, and there's an visible. There's an invisible in the heavens, and there's a visible that's right here and now. And when they wrote this, there was an actual sanctuary that God was supposed to develop or that he was supposed to be and envelop. But then Jesus shows up and he says, yeah, 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 he's there. He's also everywhere. In fact, when you just call on this God and when you invite this God and choose to connect to this God, this God is in you. And you my friend, literally become a sanctuary, a temple, a dwelling place, a house of God. Colossians 1 says that there's a mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, like in the day when these psalms were written. But it's now disclosed or understood or revealed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, in other words, everyone else, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. You don't have to go to a sanctuary you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to some special place. You are that place. And the Spirit of God is in you when you invite him to be. He's in you. 
and he's everywhere and all, the, all around. And what we do when we gather here is that we remind ourselves that he's in us. When we gather here, it's like this big, like, like kind of this stoking of a fire that, that there's his spirit in us. And when we're together, it gets magnified and there's just something happens. You just feel it more. But it's what he's doing just beyond what we can see in the invisible all the time. In fact, in heaven, we're told that there's a song that's being sung. It says this, Revelations, day and night, they never stop saying. This is angels. This is people, your friends and family maybe that have just gone on, that have passed on to the next life. There's this chorus that they're all caught up in. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when we gather, we're making the invisible a little bit visible. And we're together joining with this chorus that's happening all the time, just beyond what we can see, praising this God who makes our souls come alive. That's the where of worship. It's in you. And it's up there all the time. The why of worship is the next line. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Now, his greatness you see all the time. Those of you who've already surfed this morning, you saw his greatness out in the water. The waves, they just keep coming. Or last night when the sun sets over the water. Or the beauty that you saw when you were traveling. Or when you look at your newborn child or grandchild, you're just astounded by God's greatness. It's like, he is great. But then there's also invisible stuff. The acts of power, they're usually invisible at first. It's when someone's life gets transformed from the inside. It's what Debbie in the video was feeling. It's what kind of drew her to do Rooted, which you should definitely do if you haven't, by the way. There's an inside thing, an invisible saving kind of power that's at work. Sometimes, sometimes you're praying for something physical and visible that you want to see, but he's doing something invisible that's even better and more powerful within you or within the person that you're praying for. When I was a kid, I, uh, I had our two younger brothers, and we had this friend named Jan Webb. She was an older woman even back then when we were young, and she had grown up with polio. And so she couldn't walk, didn't have use of her legs, and she would walk on these um, kind of crutches that were just like single canes on both arms, and, or she would be in a wheelchair. And we loved Jan Webb. She did this great thing where uh, she could whistle like a bird and, and throw it, like throw her whistle so it sounded like there was a bird flying around the room. And like a five-year-old, you're like, what? what? And, and so Jan, sitting in her, in her wheelchair, would amuse us all the time. And she just had such joy, such a wonderful person, fun person to be around. Uh, but as you're, when you're a kid, you say dumb stuff. And so one of my little brothers, uh, Jan, was talking about how great life is and how good it was to be with us and how happy she is and excited about whatever was happening in her life. And my brother, just kind of stupidly, innocently, he's probably six or something, he says, yeah, but Jan, your legs don't work. You can't walk. And I think my parents are just completely mortified. But Jan, without skipping a beat, grabs my brother's hands and says, you're right, I can't walk, but I can dance. <laughs> and just moves him and moves and smiles and exudes such joy 
because she understood that the visible wasn't all, that there's this invisible reality, and that in the invisible place, God had saved her. Even though he didn't fix her legs, he had saved her soul and given her passion for life and purpose and relationships. And she was as happy as can be. A beautiful, special woman. There's an invisible and there's a visible and there's a God who has the power to save. For some of you, that's why you're here this morning. It's because you're desperate for that. You want that. You need that. Maybe for the first time or maybe in a new way. And you just need this God that we worship to be a God who saves. When we gather, we remind each other that that's exactly who he is. And when we share stories and when we talk, we're just affirming, you can get through this. You can power through. Even if he doesn't do the visible miracle, he's doing invisible miracles all the time. And sometimes you get both. That's the where and the why. The how is the next line. It says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tremble and dancing. Dancing. Do you think that's what it really means, dancing? I, it might, it, maybe there's a Jewish kind of Hebrew interpretation that's different than that. I don't know. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clashing of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Now, this, isn't, this doesn't mean that you can bring in all your favorite instruments and just kind of bang on them. In this, Because when people gather, there's like order that's helpful, you know what I mean? But you can, if, if you're into it, you can audition for the band, and, you know, Jairus will tell you if you're in or out, and, and kind of where you know, what you need to work on or whatever. But there's an opportunity for that. I want to invite you to do that. But that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is in that day, what he's just lift, listed, what the psalmist has just lifted, listed is every instrument that they had. That's all that they had. They didn't have this cool stuff that these guys play back here. The, what you just read is what they used because those are the instruments that existed. So in other words, what he's getting at is how do you worship? With everything you've got. With all that you have. With every resource available to you. You worship this God because it's all from him anyways. When Jesus was asked what the most important thing in life is, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with everything that you've got. The message paraphrase says it this way, love the Lord your God with all your passion, with all your prayer, with all your intelligence, and with all your energy. How do you worship God? With everything that you've got, with everything that he's given you, because it's all a gift from him. And you will feel more fully and wholly alive when you are giving it back. It's just how he's designed you. It's just how he has wired this. And as you do, you are making the invisible more visible. The last thing is the who. Who worships God? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Every. Praise the Lord. Everyone is a worshiper. If you have breath in your lungs, it's because God breathed it into your lungs. With that breath, you inhale his life and you exhale his praise and his worship. 
And the first word in that sentence is let, not force. Some of you have tried to like force your kids to worship God and it doesn't work very well. They probably go a different direction. Uh, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. What if, what if your song, the song in your soul is so magnetic, it's so beautiful, it's so compelling that people around you just, just want to be around that and they want to worship this God just like you do because there's something so attractive about that. You're allowing them to be exposed to the fact that they too were created as a worshiper. We are all worshipers. Look at this last verse from Psalm 57. It says, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up. Some of you need your heart to just wake up because you're just going through the motions or you're just stuck in some way and you just need your heart to be awakened to the fact that this is the God of the universe that you get to worship, that he's put it in you to worship him, that you have your own unique song, your own unique dance, and it's for him, given by him, and that's the only way that you're gonna feel fully alive. You're not gonna find it doing other stuff. You're not gonna find it worshiping other lesser things. The only way you find it is by connecting with him and giving back to him and letting your life be an expression of love back to this God. Now, I'm not a songwriter like Martin Luther, and I, I, I don't, probably couldn't just take a song and do that and make it famous or anything, but, but I do listen to the radio once in a while, and there's a song that's playing on the radio right now that if I, if I was a songwriter, maybe, maybe I would use it to, to kind of express what this summarize and kind of synopse what we can leave with this message, and, and it might be a song that sounds like this. Don't you dare look back, just keep your eyes on me, I said you Shut up and dance with me. Like, like what, what if that's what God is saying to you? Like, like you keep looking back at your shame and your brokenness and the stuff that you did or, or the church that hurts you or the religiousness or the stuff that you're not sure you can trust the church or whatever. You keep looking back at all this stuff. Just, just shut up and dance with me. I made you a worshiper. I put, I put my spirit in you. He said, stop looking back. Just look at me right here. Just shut up and dance with me. That's the invitation. It's really simple because you're a worshiper and the band is going to play and they're going to do what they do. But, but, but you, what you need to hear is that, is that he is here. That, that his spirit is in you. You don't have to go to a special place, but the reason why we gather is to remind ourselves of what's true and to make the invisible more visible. And I'm not a good dancer. It's not something that I do so well. I'm glad that my wife isn't here to critique uh, this message. Uh, but, but I want you to, and maybe you're here and you're not either, but, but perhaps what you and I can do is we can just make the invisible a little bit more visible today. Maybe. The, the, the song, the chorus that's going on in heaven, that, that we can just participate in that a little bit. And maybe if you're not a dancer, you can just kind of sway a little bit, maybe. Maybe if you're not a clapper, you can just tap your foot, low profile, and just, you know, this is my visible expression of the invisible worship that I'm feeling in my soul right now. And maybe when these guys start playing something, you can think, hey, that's what that verse said, because they're banging on that thing, and they're doing that, and they're playing it this way, and it can trigger you to make something that's invisible inside of you come alive.